With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome back to the Minefield podcast from Anfield Index Pro. I am your host, Alan O'Donoghue, and as always, I am joined by the lovely Andrew Vincent. I forgot the doctor this time, Andrew. How are you doing today? I'm good, except for you forgot the doctor. We just did a different intro that included the doctor, so I've been demoted slightly in the last five mm. minutes. But actually, the intro you will never hear fully deserves that demotion. So I'm just the lovely Andrew Vincent. And let's talk about sports psychology instead of <laughs> five minutes of nonsense that we did last time. Yes, we, we don't need to apologize for five minutes of nonsense because we're, we've cut it out. Anyway, today, Andrew, I really want to kind of pick your brain in relation to the statistic that's going around at the moment, which is that Liverpool have been the only team that have beaten Newcastle. And they're the only team that have beaten Napoli. And they're the only team that have beaten Manchester City this season. And they have lost to Nottingham Forest. And most recently to Leeds United. Both of whom are getting trounced all over the place. And I want to talk to you a bit about... And we touched on it the last time, you know, about the psychology of being able to lift yourself up for big games, but then dropping that down to lower games, lesser games, I suppose, in inverted commas. But if we look at the one thing that Liverpool have been exceptional at for the most part over the last four to five years has been being able to be consistent with those at the top and those at the bottom as well. Mm-hmm. And what you think might be going on, but also what are some of the the ways that you would help those players to get their own heads around the fact that they can be as effective as they can against the best teams and also still be able to look at themselves and go, well, how are we putting in as a collective the performances that we have been against the lesser teams? Mm. So I think this is one of those situations where the emphasis on the mental side of the game, like, yes, it, like the there's a big psychological component here, um, but it's not as quickly as changing a thought process. So, you know, like, 
sometimes there's this thought that like, oh, you can do it against these good teams. Like, why don't you just focus more? Or like, why don't you just be more confident? Or why don't you just like, whatever. And like, that's going to allow you to do this against these small teams too. Like that's the notion that's sort of out there is that this is a simple shift. And I think like, you know, we talked about this a lot last week, but it misses the bigger context of those two games, which is like, Certain teams, if they're playing at a really high level, are just going to draw that out of you. Um, and it's just not the same in a lower level game. Actually, a one way you might be able to see this too is like if you think of someone who like maybe has played football at a really high level before and like you see them play against like a Sunday league, right? And they're just kind of strolling around. They're misplacing some passes and like they do some really good things, but also they don't necessarily look that good. But then maybe you see that person, like, all of a sudden there's some other players who show up. Maybe there's a game after yours that's, like, a couple levels up. And, like, it's a little bit more fast-paced. And all of a sudden that same person looks like a different player in that game. Like, they're just, all of those things click in. And it's it's that the context is sort of, like, reminding, like, the speed of that game, the intensity of that game. There's a whole feeling that goes with that that's drawing that out of that person. That, like, the other players in the slower, less intense game, like just can't bring that out of that person. There's learning involved. Um, and so that's one of those things, like those big teams are pulling that from us in a way where like we have to figure out how to find it ourselves against smaller teams. And so, yeah, like that's possible. It's not as quick as just like, hey, you have to focus more, you have to be more confident, or you have to remember that you're the, the big fish in the small pond or whatever it's it's really about um understanding what you have to do and understanding your challenge and where to exploit teams and that's where we've fallen off is like we don't know how to beat those teams because they're not drawing our best out of us and we're missing a piece of the puzzle upstairs right now and do you think that that is down to tactical shifts do you think it's down to fatigue hangover fatigue like surely these players aren't wrecked as in that that's their careers are done because they've been running to the ground like sh- surely that's like physiologically that's not the case and I, I know you maybe not be able to you might not be able to answer that in relation to the physicality of it but from a mental perspective as well, it's, I suppose the big challenge for me has been we, we have not become a, a team of world class players who are no longer world class players overnight. I think, you know, as always, there's multiple factors in this, right? So all of the above, the tactical formation matters, the aging nature of the squad matters, the fact that there's a bunch of injuries matters. The fact that there's a bunch of new players matters. I'm less inclined to be super focused on like this hangover from last season and how intense that season was. Like, yeah, it was intense and a short break in terms of starting, but like, I'm not, I don't think that's the thing that's going on. So if I was going to take those one at a time, um, you know, I think probably I would start with, because everyone's talking about like some of these aging players. And like clearly, so I didn't watch the Napoli game. I didn't see it. But like from what you told me before the pod, um, 
you know, Fabinho looked like himself, Virgil looked like himself. Some of these guys are people like, uh-oh, are they past it a little bit? All of a sudden, they kicked it into gear and they looked like themselves. Rabo in Leeds, I thought, looked really good, hmm. actually. But it's like all, all of these players still have it in them. Um, but I think it's about how frequently they're being asked to do it, the intensity they're being asked to do it. And, like, um, there's no next wave. And I think people look at, okay, the issue right now is, like, we didn't recruit players this summer, and that left us with big gaps. But, like, I actually think the recruiting issue goes back a few years, and it's not even who we didn't buy. It's that the people who we did buy, who should be pushing those older players right now for a spot are injured or have mm-hmm. been injured or never developed. And so I think like there's a version of this team right now where you have Gomez and Keita and Jota and um, I'm trying to think who else, probably Curtis Jones. Like I know people would be 50, 50 about that, but like there's a, a Oxlade Chamberlain where you have those players who are, right around prime age. I guess Ox is a little older than them, but mm-hmm. kind of in that prime age gap. And they're pushing some of those players out. They're forcing Milner onto the sidelines. They're forcing Henderson out to the sidelines. They're taking Fabinho's spot in some games. Like, um, you know, Gomez is pushing Matip out of the spot. And so I think that's in that age bracket piece of things. It's that naturally there should be an evolution of a squad where the next group coming behind pushes out the previous group. And mm-hmm. I think it is hard. I think we see it really clearly with James Milner. He can come up with really big performances in situations where he has to, but he's not going to be able to do that for 50 games a season. And I don't know if that's true for Fabinho anymore, but it kind of looks true for Fabinho. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true with Virgil at all. Like I, That's not what I think his problem is. But like I think um, because of the injuries and because of the issues in squad planning and squad development, um, we're stuck in a spot where we're looking for a little too much out of some players who have it in their bag, but don't have it in their bag for the number of games we're asking. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's different from the psychological part, but shoot. Yeah. But do you think then that it, that presents a, a challenge then to both those players and those younger players who, are not pushing because like in reality you know the the other teams around us are all experiencing the same level of fatigue okay they may not have played the same amount of games as we have but you know man city got to the champions league semi-finals last year you know they got the semi-finals of the fa cup i think or the league cup you know so they weren't that far behind us and i know they probably have a bigger squad but the Newcastle have not bought better players than Liverpool have, even in reserve. Like, they're, they're just not a better squad. Arsenal's team is not a better 1-11 to than ours. So, I suppose the, the, the question is, like, what is going wrong? And I know it's, it's multifaceted. It's been, uh, and I've no doubt that the team asked themselves, but before we went live, you did mention about how Klopp talked about changing from the 4-3-3 and why he changed in the 4-3-3. And I'm curious 
well, maybe for those listeners who maybe haven't heard that, if you could synopsize it, but also give your view on it and what you think that that has done and how that has impacted on the performance levels this year. Yeah, so there was a really, it was either pre-Leeds or pre-IAX, I think. Um, and he had kind of a passing comment that from a psychological side was super interesting. And like the, so, someone had asked him about the tactical shifts. And one of the things he had said as a reason for the tactical shift was something along the lines of the 4-3-3 that we were using for so long was so well-trained and so well-rehearsed and so automatized that like we lost track of what we were doing and couldn't just fix it. Like, you know, that's a simplified version of what he said. And like, it's kind of counterintuitive because the idea would be, well, if it's so automatized, then you should be able to do it automatically. Um, but at some level, if you've been, if you've got a group of players and it's, it's the same group of players basically from four years ago, if you've got a group of players who have been doing the same thing really automatically for four or five years. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. It almost gets harder to like adjust to that manually. Like if you're forgetting something, like maybe some people will have had this experience with like there's something you do every day. Maybe it's like, I don't know, tying your shoe is a bad example because, but like tying your shoe, if you do it really automatically and then there's a moment where all of a sudden like you have to think about it. Like maybe you're tying your kid's shoe or something and it's backwards and it's like, wait a minute, how do I do this? And it's like, you're kind of messing with the the laces there and like trying to make loops and whatever, but it's, you know, you can tie a shoe, no problem. But all of a sudden when you have to think about it, you realize that the steps aren't cataloged for you because it's not cataloged as steps. It's cataloged as actions. It's cataloged as whatever. When you're first learning something, you break it into pieces. It's cognitive. You do it in information. First I do this, second I do this, third I do this, but then you do that a million times. At some point, you just perform that action automatically. There's no part of you that's thinking through that list. So then if it's not working and you have to go back and make adjustments in that list, the list isn't there for you to edit. You can't add, oh, step 2A to this list because, or just remind yourself, oh yeah, you've got to do step three because that list doesn't exist anywhere anymore in your brain. Mm -hmm. So in some ways you have to relearn from scratch. And so the comment that Klopp had made was like, Sometimes you need to change the formation to get players reacquainted with certain details. And so what happens is like you put in a new formation, so you switch from a 4-3-3 to a 4-4-2. And now because it's a brand new formation, you have that list in your head, right? Of here's my steps one through four. And maybe step 
two in the 4-4-2 detail, like if you're a holding midfielder, like how you have to close certain space or whatever, um, maybe that is the same detail and the same step that you would have in the 4-3-3, but because you're learning this new formation, you have to attend to it and concentrate on it in a different way than you would have if it was fully automatic or than like if you were trying to edit this list that no longer exists for you. So it creates an opportunity to meaningfully reflect on and concentrate on something that otherwise you can't reflect on and concentrate on. Does that make some sense? It does, yeah. So you you have to, you're basically creating this new list even though some mm-hmm. of the steps will be the same but it's a new structure to the list. And I suppose the challenge comes is that's fine if it's just one or two players. But if you're trying to get 10 players to adjust to that and adjust to it at the same time. And look, we've, we've spoken about how the, the mental side of things has been part of the recruitment process and, you know, intelligent players are, are, have been bought and brought into this club. But there is, they've been built to a perfect storm where they could become all automatic together. And now mm-hmm. there's the assumption maybe that, well, they've been all working so well in sync that we should be able to give them a new script and they should be able to all figure it out pretty much within a similar period of time or, you know, come, come up and it's going to be the same within reason. There's going to be enough players in the, in the starting 11 who can, do the new steps of the stance and that they'll be able to bring the others along. And this is where maybe injuries have impacted. And this is where maybe the, the fatigue, the, you know, whatever else plays into it comes into, into, to play. And it is, it just hasn't worked the way they'd hoped. Mm-hmm. For a combination of yeah. reasons. Yeah. And, and I think exactly what you said. Like you take this group of things going on this season. One of them was, I think during preseason, we were probably working on something tactically a little different to get the best out of Nunez. We prepared for this first chunk of the season to include certain players who just haven't been here for a lot of like this chunk of the season, right? So there's been a bunch of injuries that disrupted plans. That means there's some adjusting that needs to happen on the fly. Then you get into this first set of games, and one of the things that happens is that the 4-3-3, there's just details that are missing. Like, people aren't managing the 4-3-3 the way they normally would. And so, like, Fabinho being a really big example of that. Typically, what you might do is take Fabinho out and put in someone different. Fabinho gets a couple weeks on the sidelines, maybe... You watch some video with them, like you go over things. That's a different way of like recreating that list. Um, but you don't really have that option because there's so many games and so many requirements. And so he tried that. He did it with Henderson. But you also, like now you're putting people in who are badly suited for that role. That's so pivotal in that 4-3-3. So the whole 4-3-3 doesn't look like it's working anyways. And then... You know, you're trying to put players like Elliot in who don't really understand it, like Curtis Jones in who don't really play certain roles. So it's like, you know, you're, you're sort of scrambling because 
you don't have the players you need to be able to sw- switch specific individuals, then at the same time you have multiple people who are struggling with the overall system. And so it's like your only option, I think, at some point is like we've got to try a new system because now we have a ton of people injured. We don't have anyone to replace the players with. The players who we have are struggling to do this thing. They just can't do it for whatever reason. We can't give them the space and time to relearn it while they're taking like a spell on the sidelines because we have no one to exchange for them. We still have big games coming. And so, you know, it, it, the reason we've done certain things well in big games, although we didn't play this like really aggressive, typical Liverpool four through three against City, um, but the reason we've done it at certain times and in more challenging games, in my opinion, is because, um, the high-level games draw that automaticity out in a way the low-level games don't. You don't need the list because you're not thinking about anything. The game demands things of you instantly. So it's like your body and brain remember the details and execute the details without you having to think about them. So I didn't watch Napoli, but that's part of what I imagine happened in Napoli is all of a sudden we were in a 4-3-3 in a really intense game and the people who were on the field just kicked into automatic mode. Mm in a way that right now we can't do against other teams. Yeah, and it definitely looked to flow a lot better against Napoli. At the same time, we probably could have conceded first. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, appears to be a massive trigger for, for our team at the moment to to fall into a, oh shit, here we go again, mentality. Um, and again, I, I'm always slow to blanket mentality, you know, conversations and, um, I'm finding words hard today, Andrew. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think, I think there is that, oh shit moment when we go behind. Mm-hmm. It happened with Leeds and yeah, we got back, but, it was, it, they didn't look like they were confident that we're going to go on and win this. And the fact that we were outran by like a full player's worth of running, you know, and against Knott's Forest, we conceded that goal. And I thought we looked relatively comfortable in both of those games before we conceded. Although, okay, Leeds was quite early, wasn't it? Um, but like, I think we are, there's a, a a fear there of going behind. And we could have gone behind last night. We could have gone behind again, or on Tuesday, we could have gone behind against Ajax very easily in both matches. And right now, I don't believe that the team are, have the confidence or are working, working as effectively or both to be able to overcome that at the moment. And I think a big, Learning or, or important piece for this team is if they do go behind, that they need to win, not just draw. Yeah, I think, um, one way of thinking about this, cause like we've had this kind of crazy yo-yo season where it feels like a terrible loss, then we're back on track, then a terrible loss, then oh, here's the tipping point, then a terrible loss, and it's like, you know, you've got these like two different versions of this Liverpool. And I think um, 
you know, you're right when you talk about conceding that first goal. So, like, I could imagine a lot of fans actually have this experience too. So I'm going to talk, like, I talk about identity all the time, but there's an important question of who are we? And, like, that plays such an important role in mentality and how you focus and how you execute and how you play and how you perform. Like, understanding who you are and what your strengths are gives you all the information about what you're doing. What you're doing is all the information that you need to focus on, right? Like, it's, that's, I know I talk about identity all the time, but it's, like, everything. So, um, from a fan perspective, I've done this before, and you can let me know if you have too. You look up the line, you look at the lineup before the game, and you what you see is the same old crew, but maybe you know the same old crew plus whatever. So it's like a lineup where you're like, you know what, I like the look of this lineup, and I can imagine all of these players playing well, and like, oh, we're gonna be at it today, right? Like. I can imagine it in my head. The identity claim there is that this is the team we know. This is the good Liverpool. This is the Liverpool that will that can steamroll leads. Right? And so like this is in our heads, this is what they are, and we see them like that. And then the game starts and we have a good first few minutes and it's like, great, this is that team. And then the other team scores. And some part of you goes, shit, is it gonna be one of those days? And then we have a bad five minutes after that or something. I guess we scored in like the not so long after that. But like we have a questionable five minutes after that. People start misplacing passes. Some part of you is like, uh-oh, it's this team today. And think about how that changes the way you see each of those players. Think about the way that changes the way you notice mistakes versus look past mistakes. Like think about the way that changes your entire evaluation and assessment of what's going on. It's like an entirely different lens. And it happens for us, maybe when it's that goal or after a few passes. But the, I think for many people who are watching, like they can identify that moment where they're like, oh God, it's not that good team. Like it's this shit team. And like it radically changes the watching experience and expectations around the watching experience. And so I think you're right. Yes, like that happens to players too. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask to expand on that. Like talk about the players. And because if we look at it, we've conceded so early in most of those matches. So there is a ton of time left in the match to come back. Yeah. Well, and I think you're looking at a team that like is struggling with identity right now for a lot of reasons, right? Um, but struggling with identity and part of it is that like they're so used to being that team that they were for four years. You know, except for that small gap of time where we basically had no center back. Like they're so yeah. used to being that team that they were for four years that like if something happens and it's like, oh shit, are we gonna be this other team today? Like what is this? Why can't we get back to where we were? Why can't we just be who we were? Like I'm sure it does create a little bit of panic of like, uh oh, what's gonna happen here? You know, which group are we? Um yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that that happens when they score. Is a lot of people are just like, uh oh, is this going to be one of those days? And just that question is so different. Like, you think about if we gave up the first goal in a game two years ago, like, even for most at the start of this season, my thought was like, the couple times we got scored on first, it's like, ah, whatever. Like, we'll still win. Like, my expectation was so strong that we mm. were going to win always because we had won so often that, like, that's where the players would have been too. Is just like, oh, we know what we need to do. Like, we'll just go win this game. It's not 
something we need to worry about. And so now, like, I think it's just because of these experiences that we've had, not being able to win these games and struggling to put together any sort of form and just being totally lost. You're right. That does trigger some sort of shift between, yes, we're this team and, oh, are we, are we in for it today? Is this going to be one of the bad Yeah. Games? And is it possible then for the, for the team to have two different identities in that respect? So mm-hmm. like you said, last year, we, those players probably knew, no, this is the way we play. And we nine times out of 10 or 19 times out of 20 come back. So we're okay. But this year, they now know that there are two teams or not know, but there's a belief, a collective belief there that we can be a fantastic Liverpool who can beat these teams who have not been beaten by anybody else. Or we can be this other team that gets beaten by teams at the bottom of the table. And we find evidence very quickly because we concede so quickly or we don't concede. Mm-hmm. And there's a, right, there we go. And, and, and external factors then influence how we view which of those teams we are today. Yes. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And the, you know, the, whether or not, like the second narrative, like the second identity probably isn't like a collective spoken identity where mm-hmm. like the group is like, oh, are we going to be good or are we going to be shit? And like this second one is like, who we can be too. Like my guess is like the second one is sort of this unspoken thing that everyone knows about that is talked about as an inconsistency. The group is probably saying, well, we're still this good team, but yeah, exactly. In the back of our, everyone's head, it's like, but we also can be this bad team. And then evidence and external factors like play a big role in getting us in a certain mindset or being like, "Uh Oh, are we this bad team? And like, I think probably the way it would be experienced would be, you know, a relatable, a relatable experience for people would be like, we all have different relationships with ourselves, right? Like, usually, like, there's some days where it's like, oh, like, I feel good about blank, or some days it's like, oh, like, you know, I feel terrible about this, or like, you know, I know I'm capable of this, but I know I'm also capable of, like, not doing this well. And so it's like, on a day where it's sort of a bad day, we just feel different. The way we interact with ourselves is different. What we expect from ourselves is different, you know? And then other days it's like, oh, like, I'm super confident, or I, like, I trust in this thing 100%. And, you know, it's similar with the evidence gathering. It's, you never know what that one piece of information that's going to flip the switch one way or another is. But, like, once you're in one of those modes, it's not always, like, very conscious of, like, oh, shit, like, I'm in unconfident mode. Sometimes it's just, like, this feeling that you're in it. I imagine with the Liverpool players, it's not necessarily, like, uh-oh, like, we're team two today. Like, we're the shit team. It's more like, oh, God, like, what do we do? You know, there's just probably a feeling for them. Mm. Maybe it's named and maybe it's not. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. If you were working with them, would you name it? So, on an individual basis and or as a collective. Because for me, I think I would. So if I was working with the squad, I would go in and I'd name it as maybe the the shadow uh, LFC. And that there may be players in this room that do believe, or maybe all of you, or none of you, who believe that when we go, go down, 
we are trying to climb Mount Everest rather than mm-hmm. just play a football match and do what we're good at. And then mm-hmm. that collectively breeds through this whatever, this shadow side. But maybe you wouldn't. Um, It's got to be named so you can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I think like there's two ways that I could think of doing it. One would be like you just said, like in a, a pretty serious way, like being able to name that and like talk through the experience. So like, you know, what is it like to be in this sort of shadow team? The other way that I would consider would <laughs> be making light of it a little bit. And so like, I would consider like for them to give it a name, like shithead FC or something <laughs> like that. Right. Something that that's funny. So like, you know, when they start playing bad, the thing that's going to pop into their mind is like, oh, are we shithead FC today? Which like in some ways is going to be a little funny. It's going to give them space to laugh at how bad they are at certain times. Like you you hope that that works then, you know, right? Like you're taking a little bit of a risk. It's something I definitely would do with an individual is like name that individual something funny. Um, I, you know, sometimes with anxiety, I'll do that with players too. Like naming that anxiety voice that's talking to them. And like, if you can give it kind of a funny name, like, you hear it, you label that as like, oh, my anxiety or like whatever is talking to me. And it's like when you give it that sort of funny name, like it just takes away some of the power from it. Yeah. So like shithead FC, um, you know, like how do you know that you're a shithead FC instead of Liverpool? Or like what do we do when we're noticing that we're shithead FC? Like, you know, what you do is create something that the team can do on a team level. Like how do we communicate? That's the big thing, right? Is like... A lot of teams I work with right now struggle with communication um, and like just like getting everyone. So it's like that because that's going to be part of the process. You can't just recognize, oh, we're shithead FC today. Like you have to communicate that and have a plan for what are we going to do if we notice we're shithead FC. And, um, you know, probably for me, that plan would rely on identity and strengths of Liverpool FC. Everyone who's listened for a while will know that over and over and over. Um but something simple that you can get back to, like what's, you know, as I said, like a bunch of times I work with a lot of ice hockey. So like with ice hockey, it's usually like if you've got a couple bad shifts in a row, what does the next shift need to look like? What's the one thing, you know, maybe it's being really physical and putting a few hits on. Maybe it's playing really fast and connecting a few passes and just getting the team moving. But like what's one thing you can accomplish in the short term that's going to kind of remind you of how good you are, kind of spark to life, like the, Liverpool FC rather than Shithead FC. Mm. Um, that, that might be a way to do it too. Like I would consider Shithead FC. Yeah. I think we've just uh, named the pod <laughs> Shithead <laughs> FC. I was <laughs> but, uh, you know, definitely it is something that I would use regularly in coaching where I'm working with people in terms of, like you said, around anxiety and stuff like that and how we all have a gremlin. So the, in coaching, we talk about the gremlin that sits in our shoulder and tells us all the negative stuff. And what I do is I get people to actually draw their gremlin. And it can be as artistic or it can be as ugly as they want. And first of all, I get them to stand beside the picture that they've drawn. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden they get a perspective of this is actually the size difference. You are way bigger than your gremlin. And then mm-hmm. I get them to talk to their gremlin. So their gremlin goes up on the back of their bedroom door or their bathroom door. And as they're leaving, it's like, I don't need you to come with me today. And to listen out to what are the words the gremlin uses. And it's such a simple tool. So if anyone listening here wants to do it, do it. And if you've got kids, it is really effective with kids as well who are struggling with anxiety because you can help them to understand 
that this is not the core true them. It is just this voice that is mm-hmm. trying to keep the status quo, not even say negative things, but just keep the status quo. Don't do anything different to how you're doing right now. But how you're doing things right now may not be the way you want to do them. So, and that's exactly what's happening with Liverpool. <laughs> what they're doing right now may not be what they want to actually be doing. So I think it's really important that we start to think about that collective. And let's break it down a little bit more because over some of the matches recently, when we've looked more Liverpool, it has been very crisp, very fast passing where people are clearly not thinking. They are just doing what is natural and the other player is in that position that they expect them to be and then they're able to move and th- those triangles worked really effectively. The crossfield passes from, um, from, uh, Virgil, you know, were, were looking more effective. And I, I, I want to kind of look at the importance of not having to think. And I know we've discussed it in the past on the ball. And I think nobody encapsulates that or has encapsulated that as well as Curtis Jones did against Napoli. Because he was playing in the front three, which he hasn't really played much with the first team. But when he put his foot on the ball, and you could see he was thinking about what I'm going to do, it literally broke the rhythm. And he inadvertently played a very safe backwards pass, you know. But... In that forward position, when he didn't think about it, some of his passing, some of his movement was just... It, it reminded me of Mane at times. And, like, I'm not comparing Curtis Jones and Mane, but that... Like, we used to talk about Mane, you know, and a lot of people would say about Mane, and in his best, was when he didn't think about it. So if he was running through on goal, if he had time to think about it, he might miss a lot of that time. Whereas if he it was more instinctive, he was bump. It was a goal because he was so good. So I'm wondering, is that something that, as a, a psychologist, you would reference when maybe working with a, an individual or with a, a management team in terms of the elements that can impact how a player can be more effective? Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that becomes really important there is like you also want to avoid creating like the two 
the two narratives now too. Mm-hmm. So kind of like what we talked about before is sometimes like sometimes this will plague players. Mm-hmm. Is that they'll have coaches who say, "Look, sometimes you're really good, and sometimes you slow slow things down a ton," and like they'll drive themselves crazy trying to figure out, "Well, how come sometimes in this one and sometimes in this one?" So like having those two opposing experiences and having coaches point out, like, "Well, this is really good, and this isn't very good," like creates this tension that they have to figure out how to work through. Um, yes, like the automaticity here is important. Um, you always need an entry point. So there's obviously this experience of being in the zone or being in flow where everything is happening automatically, just about. But like usually like you don't just start there. Like you need to get into that kind of zone. And so like usually what I recommend is like for players to have one thing that they're focusing on. And it's like a simple thing. It might I often I use phrases, like I use a quick self-talk phrase, like um <sighs> I don't know, even something as simple as like attack the moment or something like I'm trying to think of some other stuff. Like sometimes they're kind of funny. Like if it's, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? So if, if for one person, like they're trying to be really aggressive and big, like something like be the bear or whatever, like that might work for them. Like it cues something like to like a certain way of being, like it might be, um, you know, related to your strengths. So like even just like always play fast whatever like that would be fine maybe that would be good for curtis i don't know like even if it's just like a small reminder like you want to have one thing that you are thinking about because when you're thinking about that one thing it's going to cue all the automatic stuff but it's also going to prevent you from overthinking everything and so that's the way i would usually encourage people Mm -hmm. to do it and um, you know the other important piece to remember is that um you can only learn so much and consciously think of so much while you're playing. And so if you're playing a brand new position, which Curtis has on multiple occasions this year, sometimes like you can feel like, okay, like you can have a big checklist in your head of all the things you need to do. But most of those things to learn at a high level, it's just going to take you time. And so like, I think sometimes what you see is like players play in a new position. It's like, oh, they're really effective. And I think sometimes they're really effective because a coach will say to them like, hey, this is a new spot for you. Just do this one thing. Whereas sometimes like you have a more complicated position, the coach will be like, okay, like you got to be thinking about this, 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 and this. And then you can see that they're sort of struggling with that position a little bit. And I wonder if that's part of it is just like Curtis's remit yesterday was, uh, or Tuesday was um, simpler. In terms of, hey, here's what you need to do in a slightly unusable position, but also a position he's played a lot on the left side. So he's got some instincts and like enough automaticity there, like enough things that like are recognizable that he can probably play a little more automatically. So yeah, that's, that's how I would usually encourage individuals to work on it is find your one thing. And I think then from a team perspective, it's about, you know, putting these one things together as a mm-hmm. manager or creator context in a system that allows everyone to kind of focus on their one thing so that most of what's going on is automatic but you know then there's the one piece that they can turn to when they get thinking yeah and i think for me when you do that expansion and look at from a team perspective i think that has for me has probably been from the outside looking in one of the biggest factors in the challenges we've faced is that it seems like there's been so many different iterations of how to operate. And 
That could be to do with personnel. It could be to do with, you know, tiredness. It could be to do with coaching, not having enough time to, to get down the, the way that they're going to play. But, you know, changing, starting with a 4-3-3, changing to a 4-4-2, changing to, four, to a 4-diamond to, to a 4-3-3. It's, to me, it's an overload. And it can cause confusion. And like that, if you look at, you know, some of the best passers of a ball in world football, and they're passing the ball five yards ahead of somebody, five yards behind somebody, sometimes to nobody at all. And that has to be tactical or situational, that it's different to what they're used to doing. And maybe, (laughs) I doubt it, but here's a big one and a random one. Maybe Klopp has taken this season as one where we're going to just use this as a transition and uh, try and implement a whole new system. (laughs) I don't think that's exactly what's happening at all. You know, that a, a coach would sacrifice a full season Maybe Klopp is just a mastermind that we are not able to comprehend. <laughs> Certainly could be. I I think he had no choice but to change the system because it was just like the other one's not working and we can't do it. And then, you know, the only option then is to put in something new. And, you know, I think part of it too, what he was saying is we've become too predictable. So I think that was part of it too, is like to make the team less predictable, but like also less predictable to themselves. And then, you know, I just don't think there was, I don't think there was another way to shake this team back into knowing what they were doing. I, I expect the game against Spurs to be pretty good because they're good. Mm. So I think they'll pull our best out of us. And then the real test for me is Southampton and whether or not. Um, we can put on a show there. I don't know if we'll be good enough to beat Spurs, but I think we'll have a good performance. Yeah, I think a lot comes down to who scores that first goal. I think that's such an important factor in how we are at the moment. Um, And with a team like Spurs, if they score first, they're so good defensively, generally, you know, um, I think they will be able to retreat and be disciplined, but maybe not. I, I hope you're right. I think we. I think at the moment we've a better chance of beating Spurs than we do have Southampton, definitely, which is well, kind of crazy. Think, well, you think back to what we said before. Like, there's certain kinds of goals that would go in against Spurs, where like if we passed it into our own net again, basically, like that would be shithead FC, right? Like that, everyone would suddenly be like, "Oh God, are we shithead FC today?" But like, you know, if they do something good and they score first like I can picture a situation where it's like okay Spurs is a good team like it's not it's not the same as going down against Leeds who you are always supposed to beat or Nottingham Forest who you're always supposed to beat like I agree it matters a lot like tactically and like but because Spurs are going to be hard to beat if they score first always they're mm-hmm. going to be hard to beat anyway but especially if they score first um, but like it depends on the kind of goal we give up to yeah. Whether it's like, are people going to panic and go into shithead FC mode? Or are 
people are going to hang in there and know that we can still do it. And having the Napoli game just now helps. Yeah. But you got to be careful about being like, we're us again. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you think a player like Sadio Mane was so important to the system and how we play that losing him has, has a, a, a profound impact on, on how maybe even the management team view our ability to continue playing in a particular way. I think having Sadio Mane leave puts increased emphasis on Bobby Firmino as an experienced player to continue like a consistent identity. And so, you know, if if Jota doesn't get hurt and Mane stays, you experience like what you expect is that Bobby's barely going to play, mm-hmm. right? And part of that is because like even if you're adding a new player like Nunes. You probably, if you've got a front three, you're going to add one new player with two experienced players. And so last year, like let's say Jota was either fully fit. We've seen times where Sala, Jota, and Diaz were incredibly effective. There's one new player there. Hmm. Uh, Bobby, I think, is like, you know, obviously he's had a good season, but like there's a reason we would have expected him to be playing less in a more typical setup or what we expected. So I think if Sadio was here, all of a sudden it's like you can play Sadio, Nunes, and Mo together. And like having those two people who you know exactly what they're going to do gives you fewer question marks mm-hmm. in the squad. And that allows that one player, you know, it's, it's like if you have a puzzle and you take out one piece you can look at the puzzle and see exactly where that one piece goes. It's easy to fit something into that shape because you're not, there's not a lot of variables. But now if you take six pieces out of the puzzle, it's not as obvious where each of those pieces fits or what each piece needs to look like to go in a certain spot. And so I think anytime you remove a consistent piece, like you create more question marks. So Sadio was super important to us for sure. Like I think he was more important maybe than a lot of us realized. I think he's a high-level player who would have brought a level of familiarity that would allow new pieces to adapt better. But then I, you know, I think ultimately, like the real issue though is just that midfield. Mm. Like, it wasn't meant to be like this. <laughs> like, I think there was an expectation that, you know, Fabinho, Thiago, and Naby maybe could be a really good midfield three. But there's just no depth to that. And so one piece mm. of that goes, Thiago can't play all the time, and then Fabinho's having a, a tough season, and now all of a sudden it's like just question marks in the midfield. And that's that's a really tough spot to have so many question marks. Mm. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I, and I, I definitely take your point on the importance of Sadio and and how that kind of feeds into this whole thing. And and I think what it does for me is it brings me back to what we were talking about earlier on, which was the recruitment and where the failings of the recruitment go back a number of years where we didn't have people to come in so that there was a natural flow in terms of the replacement of a, a Sadio Mane getting pushed out mm-hmm. with having somebody there. Now, Jota was that one, probably, but he's been injured and he can't account for that. But in general terms, you know, the midfield, 
has not had that recruitment. It just mm-hmm. hasn't. Um, and yes, we tried for Chiumeni. What I've seen of him, he is just like a phenomenon phenomenal player like he's just unbelievable and he absolutely would have been able to rest up Fabinho or any of them (laughs) by the looks of things but we didn't get him so we went for nobody or got nobody maybe is 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 actually a fair response so there is a a rebuild the talk of Jude didn't go through either so I think it's just going to be one of those tough seasons, but I do think we'll be better in the second half. Yeah, and you know, I think it's one of those things too, where it's like I think we had a podcast two years ago when we didn't sign anybody, and you asked if it like, and the conversation that we had was something to the effect of you can bring in new players, but it's going to take away opportunities from players who are there. And I think at the time, the players we named who might take a step were Ox, or Nabby, and were Curtis, mm-hmm. like. If those three can take a big step, I think there's a there's a hypothetical situation right now where if those three took big steps, we're okay, you know. But they didn't, and they had two years. I think it was two years ago. If it was just one year, either way, this summer was a summer to redu- to fix that, or two years ago, but like, or a year ago, whatever. Like. It, that was a conversation we had two years ago, and I think like if all those players had taken a step, maybe Liverpool look like geniuses right now. Um, but none of them did, and then no one did anything about it, and no yeah. one was quick enough to just be like, "You didn't do it, like, yeah. so we're going to replace you," you yeah. know, which is tough. But like that's, you know, I'm a more cutthroat observer of Liverpool now than I would have been two years ago, based on this season. I think we all are. <laughs> Based on this season and listening to Dave Hedrick, <laughs> whose opinions are unavoidable. There's no escape in the Hendrick. Yeah. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your insight today. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll let the little listeners know, um, we'll let you in a little secret that we have got some special World Cup podcasts coming out in the build-up to the World Cup, which we're looking forward to getting out there. They're not your probably typical podcast, but then maybe we're not a typical podcast and we're okay with that, Andrew. But uh, ethics. If, ethics, yeah. If you the ethics pod, which is going to be more interesting. We believe anyway. Um, but as always, Andrew, thank you so much. And if you are not a subscriber, just get on it. You know what to do. Okay, until next time, take care of yourselves. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.